Jerry, before you go, Jerry, I want to hand you this a uh, little housekeeping. If somebody lost a rose gold iPhone oh, 7, right. rose, gold? That's, rose gold, that's what I figured. I figured it was either yours or a woman's, <laughs> but um, can you hold on to this? And if somebody comes up and asks for their phone, you have it. Merry Thank Christmas. you. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Uh, hey, it's not my daughter's, so don't let her fool you. She may want an iPhone 7 in rose gold, but it's not hers. So, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 is where we're going to spend the morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these on the floor around you. It's page 805 in the Bibles uh, that are on the floor. I have a question for you. How many of you in school played at least one sport? Raise your hand. Uh, I'm talking about middle school, high school, elementary school, whatever. Yeah, I've noticed that um, how many of you played more than one? Most of us who have a little gray hair um, played more than one sport, right? I've noticed that today kids tend to specialize, especially pretty early. If you're a baseball kid, you become a baseball player early, and baseball kind of goes year-round. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a soccer player, you have the outdoor and indoor season, and so you don't get a chance to play a lot of other sports. If you're a runner, you run track in the summer, and then you run cross country in the fall, and then in the spring, winter and spring, you run indoor track. And so today we do a lot of specialization, but back in the day, we used to play all the sports. And when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, I played all the sports. Uh, basketball, baseball, football, soccer wasn't really a thing back then, uh, but I played all those sports, and uh, I was never a great athlete. I was always kind of middle of the pack, but as I got older, I started moving down the bench the, the wrong way, like away from the coach, you know what I mean? And so my playing time got less and less, and I started to make not A teams, but B teams, and uh, things started to happen. And then in sixth grade, it all culminated with me, for me, my, the highlight of my athletic career was in sixth grade uh, when I got into a couple of games. Now, everybody got some playing time, right, because that's what you do when you're in sixth grade sports, but my playing time kind of became garbage time. It was when you're up by 20 points or when you're down by 20 points, hey, put Wallen in the game. He hasn't played in a couple of games. And so I get in. I probably finished my sixth grade basketball season with 10 or 12 minutes and two points and a whole bunch of fouls and a desire to never play basketball again because I knew that I was not having an impact on what the team was able to, uh, was able to accomplish, right? And my, my part that I had to play was meaningless as far as the team win. And so seventh grade, I quit playing basketball because if I didn't, want to, if I didn't help the team win, it wasn't fun for me anymore. And it's the same way with me with our faith. Like, my personal faith is really important to me. I think it's great that people have, I mean, you've got to have a relationship with God. You need to have a relationship with Jesus if you're a Christian. But on its own, that has less meaning than when you do it in a community, when you do it as part of a team, right? And, and what, what's really fun, where your faith gets really fun, is when you have a part to play that matters, and you start to watch the team win, and so I just want to remind you this morning that if you have put your faith in Christ, if you're a Christian, that you have a part to play in helping people find their way back to God. It doesn't matter whether you're a grandma or grandpa, if you're working two jobs or you're retired, if you're single or married or you're a high school student or a middle school student, or if you're a kid, you have a part to play in what we like to call, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, but that is the acronym we use for helping people find their way back to God. That's our mission as a church, helping people find their way back to God. It's always been our mission since we started. Uh, and it comes from this passage we're going to read today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is the writer here. He's writing to a group of people uh, like you and me. He's writing to a church. 
And they're people that had questions about life and about their purpose and about their role. They were living in a turbulent world, a difficult world. So we should be able to relate to what Paul has to say to us today. And Paul speaks to this issue of every person having a part to play. That's where we're going to study most of the morning. But before, we, before Paul tells us what to do, I want to skip forward a little bit and look at his motivation. Because what he does is he, he tells us the part, and then he tells us his motivation. And so I'm going to look at the motivation part. I think it's really important uh, to understand why Paul thinks this is important. It's, we call it the good news or the gospel. Uh, this is really the motivation behind everything we do as a church, and it's got to be the driving force behind everything we do as followers of Jesus today. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul writes this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And obviously he's talking about Jesus. God made Jesus. Jesus had no sin. He lived his entire life without sin, but God made him to be sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God. We put our sin on Christ. He takes on our sin, even though he had no sin. And even though we had no righteousness, we get all the righteousness of Christ in return. This truth left Paul in awe of the gracious love of God. See, here's the challenge we all face. We were born into a world of sin. We were born into a problem of sin, every one of us. And God knew that we could never solve this problem of sin on our own. You can read, uh, but but Paul uh, got to see this. Paul got to see this firsthand. And Paul saw how God's grace had rescued even him when he was in the depths of sin. You can read this story in Acts chapter 9 this week if you get a chance, and how God uh, came and rescued Paul right out of his sin. He had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and it changed the trajectory. Man, I have so many problems saying that word. The trajectory of his life forever. How about you? Has that happened to you? Did you meet Jesus and the trajectory of your life was changed? Mine was. If you made Christ your Lord, is it having that kind of influence on your life? What we see in this passage is the difference between religion and grace. A lot of people would say, if you go to church a lot, you must be a pretty religious person. Well, religion says, I want to obey so I can win favor with God. I want to follow his command so I can win favor with God. But grace is different. Grace says, I have already won favor with God, and as a result, I want to obey. Right? And so Paul has this in mind as he writes these words. First Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. See, it's the love that came first. Christ's love came first. That's the grace part. His love came first and it compels us. That word compels jumps off the page, right? It's kind of like it controls or constrains in a good way. Paul's saying, My new life is giving everything I have out of honor for a God who gave everything for me in his son, Jesus, right? So God gave first, and so that's what's compelling us to do this. That's what he says, verse 515, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In other words, he says, uh, so anyone who Uh, has been changed by this. If you put your trust in Christ, you belong to God. And you should no longer live for yourself, but you should live for Jesus who died for you and was raised again. This is a really big deal for Paul. Again, if we go back to sports, you probably know people, maybe you're one of these people, you make a big deal about who it is you root for, what what team is yours. Uh, Maybe you have 
Uh, you wear their jersey to church on Sunday. I noticed there are fewer and fewer Colts jerseys this year than there used to be. I wonder why that is. Are they not selling those anymore? Um, Maybe you have a bumper sticker on the back of your car or a license plate on the back of your car or both. Or maybe the back of your car makes it completely obvious who your team is, right? A lot of people, if they root for a particular team, the you can look at the back of their car and you can see who it is. Unless you're an IU basketball fan because then you have IU basketball on one side and Notre Dame football on the other side, right? Um, I got an amen in the first service for that. Um, but most people, you can, you can look at them. If they're, if they're a big sports fan, you can look at them and you can see what team they root for. You look at their car, you look at their shirt. Um, or maybe your team is the one your kid plays for. And so how you spend your Saturdays and maybe some of your Sundays now is you haul your folding chair to the sideline and you, you stake out a spot with your umbrella and you sit and you watch your kid play. Right, And so that's the team that you root for. I can, in this passage, I can just hear Paul pleading with us saying, hey, Christian, please don't let there be any doubt what team you represent, who you belong to, who you live for. Right? So verse 16, he goes on. So from now on, because of that, because one died for all, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Paul says, hey, you can't just view people as flesh and blood. He said, we used to view Christ as just a person. We used to view Jesus as just a person, but we don't do that any longer. We understand his holiness. We understand that there's more than just humanity to him. And so as a result, we can't view people just from a worldly point of view. In fact, the word that Paul uses here that's translated as worldly is the Greek word sarx. And that word is where we get the word sarcophagus, which is a kind of tomb, right? It's a kind of coffin. He says, we can't just view people as flesh and blood. We used to do that. We even did that with Jesus, but we don't do that anymore. He says, he says basically, we're not going to judge people by where they live or what they drive or who they voted for or what they believe in. He says, people are more than that. They're more than just flesh and blood. They're more than just the sum of their decisions. People are created by God. What's that song say? Every one of them, a, a soul you died to save. Right? And so that's how we view people. He says, don't, don't just see people as temporary. They, are, they, are, they have eternal value. As followers of Jesus, we need to see that Christ loved all people enough to die for them. And for that reason, you and I need to see the world through a different set of lenses. This includes people who are following Jesus, for sure, but it also includes people who are following something else. Paul sees people. He sees the world through a different set of lenses. And what he's confident in is that what Christ can do for any person. And he knows this from experience because Paul was a pretty unsavory character. Uh, if you read the first part of Acts, you'll see that before Acts 9. Uh, and then you, you know that he had a major change in his life. And, and just like it made a difference for Paul, it made a difference for me in my life. I was a pretty unsavory character before I met Christ. But he made a difference in my life as well. And if he can make a difference for Paul and he can make a difference for me, he can make a difference for you and he can make a difference for anyone. Paul, Paul sees people and the world through a different set of lenses. And so he knows that anybody can be changed. And so he says this in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. This is what defines Paul. It's his identity it's what should define me and you 
uh, in our faith as well. If, if this is, should be our identity, and it should not only be our identity, it shouldn't just define our life, it should define everything we do. It should drive everything we do for Jesus in this world. Christ was crucified and raised to new life. And because Christ has been raised to new life, we are offered a brand new life. The, the old is gone. The new is here. That's what the cross does for people. And if that's what it does for people, here's what it means. That means that the, the cross of Jesus can change the person sitting next to you. Don't look at them right now. The cross of Jesus can change your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter or your husband or your wife. The cross of Jesus can change the person who hurt you the most. It can change the person who refuses to come to church with you. It can change your neighbor. The cross of Jesus can change anyone, anyone, anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If we believe that, if we've experienced that in our own life, then we've got to be prepared. We've got to be prepared to take up what Paul offers next. Verse 18 and 19, he says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Hang on to that for a minute in your left hand. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The, the, the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. Do you get that? The ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. Ministry, what's the ministry of reconciliation? Well, it's what we call helping people find their way back to God. It's, it's reuniting people with their creator who loves them and created them and is crazy about them. That's the ministry of reconciliation. What's the message? Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Verse 20, he goes on. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul says that you... If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, okay, if you're, if you're here today and you're not following Jesus, this doesn't apply to you, all right? You could take a pass on this part. You don't have to do this. But if you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Christ, here's what Paul says. You're an ambassador. You're a representative of Christ. You're a, a worker for Christ, for the person and message of Christ. Now, that word ambassador has a big deal meaning in ancient Rome. For those living under the rule of Rome in the first century, there was no greater honor than to be chosen as an ambassador for the empire. What, what that meant was you are a, a, an official representative of the emperor to a certain territory, to a certain piece of land, to a certain property, to a foreign country. An ambassador was trusted with influence and trusted with the responsibility of speaking on behalf of the emperor of Rome to the people of the world. That was what the ambassador did. And so Paul's borrowing this concept from culture that everybody would have understood and, and giving it to the, the people, the Christians of the time, but also giving it to us today to understand what have we been called to do in this world? Well, we've been given this message, the greatest message, by the way, that's ever been given, that anyone can be new, a new creation in Christ, the greatest message the world's ever known. And we've been entrusted as the communicators to that message with the ministry of reconciliation to help people find their way back to God. As an ambassador, as a worker, as a follower of Jesus, you represent Jesus to the people God has put in your life. And for many of those people, you may be the only representative of Jesus they know. Don't be scared about that because he's also given you his Holy Spirit 
to lead you and to guide you and to help you with what to say. But no matter what you do with your time, no matter what you do for a living, no matter where you live, no matter where you go to school, you have been given influence and an audience for which you have this responsibility to share this great message. In Christ, you can be made new. And if we look at this verse in a different translation, the New Living Translation, what we see is we see the mission of Genesis Church come out of this. It says this, this is 2 Corinthians 5.20 again. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come back to God. And that's where our mission comes from, helping people find their way back to God because we have been given this responsibility, this ministry. We exist, you exist. As a church, we exist to help people find their way back to God. And it's not just something that we do as a church, a lot of times when people say, well, you know, the church does this, you think about the staff, right? Well, there's only 13 of us, and there's hundreds of you, and so we can't do this by ourselves. It's something that we live out as people. We live our lives this way. Every person has a part to play. Everybody can have a role to play in helping people find their way back to God. And, and, and that's why that we've, you know, made this decision over the last couple of years to become a disciple-making church. And the disciple-making is all about the individual part you play as an ambassador for Christ. It's the process of leading someone to Christ, helping that person grow in their relationship with Christ, and then preparing them to go and do the same for others. Can you see why it takes every person? Why everybody has a part to play? And so what I thought I'd do over the next, just the time we have left is just take a look back at some of the cool stuff that God did in our church in 2017. And then I want to take a look forward at what we think uh, he might have in store for 2018. Um, but before we do that, I, just, I know that for many of us, uh, 2017 is going to be remembered as the time that the year that two of our staff members resigned uh, with moral failure. And uh, I know for many of us, it's been a difficult year. It's been a hard year for me. There's been a lot of really great things that have happened this year, and I've gotten to see God's faithfulness in a new way, in a way that um, I didn't really maybe understand before, um, but it's also been a really hard year, and it's been hard. I know some people are still struggling with it. We still have conversations almost every week with somebody who's still struggling with the residual effects of the sin that happened in our church back in February. And so if you're here and you're hurting, I just want you to know I hurt with you. I've been praying for you. Um, and it's not just hard on you. It was my wife were talk and I were talking about this back in the spring. We remembered this happened in our church 12 years ago. <clears throat> and uh, we had a couple staff members that uh, had an inappropriate relationship and resigned. And um, our church at the time was about 350 people. And uh, over the next six months after that happened, we grew from six, 350 people to about 200. Uh, we grew the wrong way. Uh, as people left and went and just, you know what, uh, because we realized we had a decision to make at that time, that, that we could take the easy way out, which was, there's a lot of great churches in Hamilton County. There's a lot of places we could go worship God, and we could just go and go somewhere and be anonymous and just kind of run away from the pain, or we could decide to dig in. And uh, we realized at the time, 12 years ago, that Genesis needed people to dig in that if God wanted to do the work, the ministry of reconciliation, of helping people find their way back to God, there were gonna need to be people that stayed. And so we made that decision 12 years ago to stay. And I just wanted to say, thank you. Thank you to those of you who stayed. It's been a hard year, but we have been really blessed to see God's faithfulness in a way that we could have never believed back in February. 
And so if you've stayed, if you've taken on your responsibility, if you've taken on new leadership, if you've dug in, if you've encouraged, if you've helped, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you did in 2017. God has done some amazing things at Genesis. In spite of our sin, God has done some amazing things at Genesis in 2017. And I just wanted to share some of them with you. I don't want to miss all the cool things that God's been doing. We had uh, about a, a couple months ago, a month ago, we had a multiply training at our Noblesville campus. We invited anybody who wanted to be a kingdom worker, who wanted to learn the ministry of reconciliation, of helping people find their way back to God. Um, we had 103 people show up. 103 people spent a Saturday morning trying to learn the tools, the basic training of disciple-making. Uh, how do I share my story? How do I share the good news of Christ? How do I pray for other people? And as a result of that, we had each person that was at that training write down the names of three people who are not followers of Jesus, and we've been praying for them. We, we, have, been, we have 300 people that don't know Christ that we're praying for as a church right now. That's incredible. And we're not just doing this with adults, but we're doing it with our students too. Our GSM ministries at both campuses, there are great things happening. Uh, our student team is doing an exceptional job. They've got what they call a ministry team, and they've been meeting together once a month for the last year talking about how can they invest and pray for students in their school? How can they um, you know, help them understand uh, the ministry of reconciliation as it, goes, as it relates to high school students? Our Gen Kids team has been very intentional at helping children understand the role they have to play uh, in Christ. We have we sometimes make the mistake of saying, you know, we got we to gotta make sure that we're investing in the kids. Those kids are the future of our church. And I said, no, those kids are the present of our church. They're not Christians in training. They're Christians. They're followers of Jesus. We have eight-year-olds that are leading people to Christ, inviting people to church. Like, we, we are investing in these kids and doing cool things. One of the ways that we're doing that is through... Um, um, family commissioning. We, we used to call it child dedication. We did a few years ago. We used to do child dedications, and uh, we realized that that didn't really capture the essence of what we were trying to do. And so instead, what we, we had 17 families this year that stepped up to be commissioned and to say, I want to raise my kids to know and love Jesus in this crazy world that we've got. I just want to tell you about some of the other wins that we've uh, seen this year in our church. Our Carmel campus right here, we celebrated our five-year anniversary at this location in Carmel this year. Uh, that was cool, and uh, thank you. Some of you, if you stayed late, you got a pretzel. Uh, if you came to the early service, you were out of luck. Sorry about that. Uh, we have a full staff team. I don't know if you realize this. For the first time, we started trying to fill some staff positions last October. It's been over a year. And for the first time in, uh, what is that, 15 months, we have a full staff team. We have 13 people here on our team, and I got to tell you, I love the humility and the skill set, and just the love of Christ that our staff has. We have an incredible, you are blessed with an incredible staff, present company excluded. You are blessed with an incredible staff of people who love you and care about what's happening in your life and want to help equip you to help people find their way back to God. And, and let's just don't overlook this. Uh, because of your generosity, we have 13 people that draw a salary here and are able to feed their families. So thank you for that too. Um, yeah, thank you guys. Our big event, we had uh, our eighth big event this year, I think it was, and uh, we drew over 300 people. Many people said it was the best one they'd ever been to, the game show edition. Uh, we have over 400 volunteers 
serving across our two campuses. That's incredible. We had 40 men participate in an eight-week Bible study this summer. How do you get 40 men to spend Saturday mornings in the summer studying the Bible? I have no idea, but we did. We had 40 men that went through this Bible study. We had 75 women participate in our IF gathering last winter. Well, women are overachievers. We know that. But 75 women participated in our IF gathering. That's incredible. Uh, right here at the Carmel campus, we have a growing uh, connection group of 20-somethings that Jerry and Casey Neville are leading. It's been an incredible journey for these, stu- these kids. I want to call them kids. I know they're not kids. These uh, young adults who are finding community in a way they didn't know was possible after college. And so Jerry and Casey are doing a great job with that group, and it's growing. Um, we had 17 baptisms this year, 17 people finding new life in Christ. Yeah, we had almost 1,500 people at Easter across our two campuses, 1,479. We had 1,200 on Christmas Eve across our two campuses. We had 200 people come to an event called the Restoration of All Things back in September with Brad Gray, uh, an incredible event where he spent an hour and a half teaching us all the way through the Bible. And we had 200 people come out on a Friday night for that. We had 139 kids attend Spring Hill camps at our Noblesville campus this summer. It's the biggest crew we've ever had. And I realize that numbers aren't everything. But numbers are important because every, name has a, every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. Let me tell you some other things that we did this summer uh, or this year. GSM, our student ministry, sent our first Haiti team uh, this year. We sent uh, uh, high school students to go serve in Haiti. That was incredible. We've had four or five teams that have gone to Myanmar, which two years ago I couldn't have told you where Myanmar was, and now I'm in love with the place. But we've got teams of people, entrepreneurs, that are going and teaching young entrepreneurs how to start businesses that have a kingdom impact. It's incredible. We've had a site visit to a partner in Ukraine, Last Bell Ministries, that we've uh, been a financial partner with, but we're trying to see how to get involved with them. Uh, We had a school supply drive this summer where we collected over 600 items for Carmel. And in Noblesville, this is incredible, there was not a single elementary school student that went without school supplies this year because of the backpacks that we delivered at our Noblesville campus. That was incredible. We have 65 people serving with Food for Souls this year. What we did at the beginning of the year, Food for Souls, if you don't know, is a homeless outreach. They travel every week uh, on Sunday afternoon. They go down to Indianapolis and serve with homeless in the homeless camps. Uh, We signed up for six dates and thought maybe Genesis Church could staff six dates, one each month from January through June. We sold out all of those, sold out. We filled all of those in the first week. Hey, and it's free. It's not even sold out. Um, We filled all those in the first week. And so we added six more. We ended up filling 17 dates in 2017. 17 weeks of the 52 weeks of the year were staffed by Genesis people going down and serving with Food for Souls. That's incredible. Uh, A lot of things are incredible. I'm using that word a lot. I'm sorry. I just don't know what to say about it. Uh, God is really good. We provided spring break totes for over 200 people, 200 students uh, in IPS schools through Shepherd Community, 200 students that were off school for two weeks, that had food to eat for those two weeks because of your generosity. $5,000 for hurricane relief after Hurricane Harvey. $12,000 for clean water through World Vision because we had some crazy people that decided to do this run. Uh, $217,000, folks. $217,000 given beyond these walls in 2017. I don't know if you know this, but a tenth of every, at least a tenth of everything that you give goes right back outside the walls to our ministry partners, and we gave away $217,000 this year because of your generosity. And I don't know if you know this, we planted a brand new church this year. Did you know that we planted a brand new church this year? We didn't really talk much about it, but we have a partner in Albania called ICF. ICF is a church in Albania. It's in Tirana, uh, Albania. 
And the pastor called us this summer, uh, Altin is his name, and Altin said, hey, I've got an opportunity to plant several churches throughout the country in Albania. Albania is 1% Christian. And he said, I've got the opportunity to plant several churches. Would you consider potentially funding part of one of these churches? And so we asked him, how much does it cost to, to plant a church in Albania? And he said, oh, it's about $20,000. And so our elder team prayed about it, and we said, you know what? Let's just don't partially fund a church. Let's just fund a church. Let's just plant a church. And so we were able to send them $20,000. And this is, you're seeing pictures here from ICF in Fear. Fear is a city in Albania. And ICF Fear uh, was planted this year because of your generosity. And on their opening weekend, they had 450 people attend. And in a country that's 1% Christian, they had 450 people attend thanks to your generosity. That's a lot. That's cool, isn't it? So let's look ahead. What, what are we going to do next? What's God got for us next? Well, we don't know, obviously, but we know some things. Um, some cool things that are coming up are this. We're going to celebrate 15 years as a church in 2018. Our 15th anniversary, we'll celebrate this summer or fall. We'll probably do a uh, both campuses get together kind of event. I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but 15 years of ministry through Genesis Church. We've planned out most of our Sunday preaching calendar for 2018. I'll give you highlights of what we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to do uh, a series on spiritual warfare called the Invisible War. Uh, it's something I've been looking forward to for a couple of years, actually. Uh, we are going to do a series on questions, questions that people have about the Christian faith. It's tentatively called uh, Asking for a Friend. You've probably seen that on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, but what are the, the, uh, you know, what are the um, main questions that people have about Christianity? We're going to do a series about building relationships with your neighbors. We're going to do a series about David. We're going to do a series about heaven and hell. And then we're going to start the year with this series called Life at 2%. And it's based on this idea that all of us have at least one area of our life where there's little or no margin. And so how can we recharge these areas of our lives? Take a look at this. I know that doesn't apply to any of you, but if you guys know somebody that could use a series like this, we're starting it next week on January the 7th, and I hope you'll invite some friends. Hey, we want to be continue, continue to be generous in 2018. We're going to continue to give away 10% of everything that you give to supporting ministries that help people find their way back to God. Uh, we want to continue in church planning. We've got a network of 11 churches here in Indiana that are meeting together, strategizing, talking about how can we plant churches together? How can we work together and be part of a kingdom win instead of just looking out for our own individual congregations? Uh, what else? We're growing and becoming a praying church. Our staff has been meeting together for the last six months, uh, twice a month, just to pray together. We spend an hour 
uh, every time we get together, just praying together. Our elders have been uh, having prayer meetings together. We've been spending some time intentionally in prayer. Uh, We've been doing some prayer walks around the neighborhood. I don't know if you realize this. We've got 500 apartments coming in behind us. 500 families that are going to move in uh, within walking distance to Genesis Church. We've been praying for them. Um, we're getting people connected to our church and helping them grow in their relationship with Christ. Jerry pointed this out. We have these at the Info Hub, but we've been very intentional this spring about the groups we're going to offer and how they help get you into a disciple-making relationships, no matter where you are on your journey with Christ. And so if you want to pick up one of these at the Info Hub, these are out there. This is just a, 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 a smattering of some of the offerings we're going to have over the next year of how we get uh, people more intentional about investing in others. Um, we're going to have multiply training again. We're going to do what we did in Noblesville. We're going to do it here in Carmel in February. And so if you missed it for some reason and you want to come uh, sometime in February, we're going to do multiply training here on a Saturday morning at the Carmel campus. I just want to remind you the best way to help people find their way back to God is to become a disciple maker, become a kingdom worker. It's a challenge that Paul gave each of us. It's the ministry of reconciliation, of helping people find their way back to God. And it's something to think about as we head into 2018. What what do you want God to do in you in 2018? What do you want to see more of in your life? What do you want to see more of in a church? You know, we think about this at this time of year all the time, right? What do what I want to eat less of? You know, how do I want to exercise more? How do I want to read more? How do I want to do more things? How do I want to take things out of my life? What What if you started asking God, like, what do you want to do in me? What more do you want to do in me? But I think it's all going to start with our personal relationship with Jesus, right? In John 15, Jesus says, the key... To bearing fruit is what? To remain in me as I also remain in you. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And that's the key, remain in Christ. He will produce fruit in us and through us, and this will bring him much glory. You know, we asked some people that went to the Multiply Workshop to kind of share their story and how they've seen God produce fruit in their life. And we got this story, and we got permission to use it, although we needed to change the name. So I just want to read this story from uh, uh, a woman in our church She says, I met Sarah at the tumbling class our girls took at the club last spring. She had just moved here, and her husband travels regularly, so my heart went out to her. I started praying for her and building a relationship with her through all the summer and fall. I used some of what I learned from Multiply to move our conversations deeper and learned a lot about her upbringing, but most of the time, I was struggling to take our conversations to the next level. One of the things I committed to was to pray for her daily instead of occasionally. Wouldn't you know it, one day while I was praying for her, she texted me. Turns out both of our husbands were traveling the next night, so she invited us over for pizza. It was the first time she had invited me into her home, which felt like a milestone of sorts. She says, uh, I wasn't sure how the conversation would go, so she decided to write out the questions in advance. I don't know how many of you can relate to that. You don't know how that conversation is going to work, so she wrote out all the questions. Uh, But between that time, she says, and going to her house, I was really prayerful about all of it. But on the way there, the kids were being awful. We were late. We were stuck in traffic. I thought, this is never going to happen. What was I thinking? But we made it. 
after dinner, I started talking to my friend about the holidays and how they can be a struggle. And I told her how I'm trying to value Jesus above all other things at Christmas. And she started asking questions, which provided me the opportunity to ask her more about what she believes and about her opinion of Jesus. From there, I was able to share how my faith became my own. My, she calls it my before and after Jesus story. We dialogued for a bit, and she started talking about God and why bad things happen. I told her I could draw a picture. Some of you know she's talking about the three circles, right? She's going to draw a picture to show why bad things happen. She said, would you get me a pen and paper? And just then, the kids came running in asking for dessert, and we never got back into that conversation again. Heartbreak, she says. Now I'm just praying for another chance to talk with her, praying that she becomes really curious about Jesus. She was surprisingly open and seemed to enjoy the whole conversation. A couple things that I took away from this story, just one, that, that God is the one who brings people into our lives, that, that our job is just to cultivate that friendship. And then we pray and we watch God work. She closes her story like this. She says, I was thinking this morning that all of this must flow from our intimacy with Christ. Thinking of myself 10 or 15 years ago, I never would have befriended a stranger, let alone have spiritual conversations. But as the Lord reveals more of himself to me, and I grow in my relationship with him, I am equipped for these things without realizing it or planning for it. And really, that's just a perk, not the goal. The real treasure is the relationship with him. And that's what we want to celebrate this morning. And we're going to do that and remember that through the taking of communion. And so the way we do that, just to remember, the ability to help people find their way back to God will come out of the overflow. It comes out of the overflow of your relationship with Jesus. We're going to remember now the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. The fact that he died on the cross and rose again from the grave. And we do that through the taking of communion. We do that on a regular basis here at Genesis. We are, there are four tables. There are two in the front and two in the back. And as we pray, just a minute, I'm gonna pray. I would love for you to be praying about, like, what's the one thing that God may have for you in 2018? Just ask him, what, what's the word that he wants to put on your mind? What's the, the verse that he wants to put in your mind? What's the thing that he wants more of from you in 2018? Let's pray together. sacrifice that you made for us, that you gave everything through your son. And we're overwhelmed. Lord, that you promised because you raised him from the dead, you promised to make us new. What an incredible message. Lord, Paul, the apostle Paul could never get past that, that idea that he was able to be made new and help us to never get past that too. Lord, I believe for each and every person in this room, you've got something you want to do in us and through us in 2018. I pray over the next day or so, over the next week, as we think about the end of the year and the beginning of a new year, that you would reveal that to us. Would you help us to see what you have for us, Lord? Help us to see that, help us to know that it's out of love and help us to obey and to move forward. And even in this moment, when we stop and reflect on the death and rebirth of Jesus Christ, Help us to remember that that was a gift to us, that you gave him as a gift. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.